served with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Hello and welcome to this week's Bad With Money mailbag episode. I'm Gabby Dunn and this is a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Quick question. Did you check out this week's episode all about freelancing and the Freelance Solidarity Project with Haley Melodic, who is a representative of that project, and also with Jamie Schmidt, the founder of Schmidt's Naturals? If you are someone who has your own business or freelances, you really need to check it out. If you didn't check it out, you should. I learned a lot, especially as someone who is their own self-employed little business here at Bad With Money. So this week on the show's mailbag, we got a ton of emails from you guys, like a lot of emails. So we're going to be catching up on emails and reading a bunch of those. If you sent in an email, I'm probably reading it. Stay tuned for that. In the second half of the show, we'll probably do some more emails and then I'll read your reviews and comments. Stay tuned. Okay, so happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanksgiving sucks and I don't think we should do it anymore. I'll tell you what. We talked a bit about Black Friday on another mailbag episode of this show, which you can go find in our feed. And basically, there's a ton of Black Friday strikes going on. I think if you Google Black Friday strike, you can find one near you. I think that it is historically a really terrible time for retail employees and all of the shenanigans and violence that you see in video, you know, viral videos of Black Friday that people go, ah, how crazy are people? Somebody works there. So... I think right now with the great resignation happening and with wages being what they are, which is supremely unfair compared to the work that people are asked to do, I would, if you are planning on participating in Black Friday, think about it and not do it. Okay, so now let's read some emails. This email is from Danny T. It says, please, please, please keep us informed about your covered calls journey. Listen to that investing episode and I'm certainly intrigued. But like most things in life, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably not true. Thanks for being the test dummy, Danny. Covered calls have been great, but I am very scared. And so I don't put a whole lot of money forward. Like like I have heard of people who get like $11,000 premiums because they put in like $100,000. And I'm incredibly terrified to do that. So everything I've done so far has been in the like $100 to $200 range. So I will let you know. I did feel a little bit of pain when I did a covered call that sold my stock, which was called AMD, which is microchips. And I sold it with a covered call and then AMD shot up. And so because I had sold it with a covered call and gotten the premium, I didn't get to enjoy that stock rising. So, you know, full, full, a lot of mistakes that really hurt you right in the soul. But I've been told you can't be emotional about the stock market, even though, of course, I am emotional about the stock market. OK, this email is from Emily. It says. Hey, Gabby, I've been listening to the show for years now, and this is my first time writing into a podcast. I was wondering if you'd feel comfortable sharing what resource you use to learn about covered calls. I've been watching a ton of videos, mostly from cishet white dudes on YouTube. Wow, do they dominate the space (laughs) and understand the terminology, but still don't feel confident doing it myself. Thank you so much for what you do. I'm a huge fan. To be honest, I uh, am in touch with Anna Kana and I check in with her like every time I have to sell one. And so Anna has really been helping me. And then also the school that Anna recommended for classes is called um, Wealthy Investor Trade School with Tyrone Jackson. You have to pay like 49 bucks to get access to all the videos. But 
yeah, I've been doing that. And honestly, he's pretty good at explaining stuff. I hope that helps. Okay, this email is from Paz. It says, hi, Gabby. First of all, thank you for your amazing work and everything you've done to inform about all these different and important topics. I've been a fan of JBU and Bad With Money since the beginning of the pandemic, and I've always felt like your shows allow me to participate in conversations that people around me aren't having. I'm also writing because I'm 23 years old from Argentina, and I'm recently coming to terms with the fact that I'm non-binary, which I'm really happy about, but also crazy scared. I'm at the beginning of my career because here degrees in public university like mine in cultural anthropology take five or six more years to complete. I recently started working at a place where I feel relatively comfortable making changes on my appearance and eventually asking people to use my new pronouns. But my salary is so low that I just know I'm going to have to look for another job soon. My question is, how can I navigate my gender journey in a way that I don't end up being denied jobs that I would otherwise be perfect for? Of course, I know that there are places where I wouldn't even feel comfortable, but I feel like becoming more like my true self is going to leave me broke and unable to build a financially safe and comfortable future for myself. Luckily, I know that being white and having a certain level of familial wealth protects me, but coming out as bi was extremely hard on my relationship with my family, and I don't want to financially depend on them in the near future because I don't know how supportive they're going to be. I know this is a really tough question, lol, but any insights slash career advice would be really helpful. Lots of love, Paz. I mean, yeah, there are not enough protections in place for LGBTQ plus people looking for work or at their jobs uh, in too many states in America, you can still be fired for being LGBTQ. Uh, There are, you know, Trump tried to roll back a lot of protections. I don't know how it is in Argentina. I assume probably, probably just as confusing. Do know that I worry about this too. I think like there are places that, places and people that I work for and with that I get the vibe me changing my pronouns or me changing how I look. You know, I had long hair. Now my hair is very short, has affected the way they see me. And I am, you know, obviously maybe it's paranoia, maybe not. But I have kept myself up at night wondering if if this was a bad idea, which sucks. It sucks. You know, I think there are things that have happened where I think I've lost money on brand deals, I, I worry like, right, that people are gonna go, oh, well, we don't wanna hire them because we don't wanna have to remember their pronouns, which I don't know if that's paranoid or if that's like totally real. So I really, really get what you're saying. <sighs> I think you should ask like in your interviews, maybe like what protections do you provide for LGBTQ people? Or like, do you have like a LGBTQ workforce group or something for people, you know, at your company, whether it's like we get drinks once a month or something. I don't really know the answer to this. Like you said, it is a tough question. If you have any ideas and you're in a similar position, please write in. (laughs) I feel like I also need advice. (laughs) Okay, this email is from Emily. It says, hey, Gabby, my name is Emily. She, her, and I'm a big fan of the show. I'd like to ask about the controversial Travis Scott Astroworld show and how it got this way. How could a venue of this size and capacity let something like this happen? How could a festival so large not hire enough security to enforce safety rules? Did they not anticipate medical emergencies? I mean, considering the price of Astroworld tickets, you would think the venues could splurge a little more on safety measures. Who are the insurers of concert venues and what good are they if they don't actually hold anyone accountable for injuries? Does the insurance company actually care about keeping festival goers safe? And if not, then who does? Thanks for listening to my rant. I'm looking forward to a deep dive into what's going on with these scummy, scammy shows, Emily. We did a mailbag episode about this, but yes, I don't know a lot about insurance, but I do know that 
he and uh, people that work with him are facing like millions of dollars in lawsuits. Like I think I saw like $175 million in lawsuits. I think a lot of insurance companies do a thing where they're like, well, you know, obviously they they didn't anticipate so many deaths at this concert, although they should have. But it's this idea of like penny pinching and saving money and then insurance companies saying, well, we'll pay out, you know, after with the assumption that nothing's going to happen. But the problem is, is that something did happen and things do happen. And I think it's just greed. Like the answer to your question is greed, honestly. But if anyone else has any more insight, I would love to know if you like work for an insurance, you know, a mass insurance company for concerts or something, big, big events, please write in. Okay, this email is from Shauna. Hi, Gabby, wanted to put this in a DM, but it was way too long, so here it goes. I heard your most recent ep about financial education and had some qualms about teaching kids that the market always trends upward, which I think is a mistake, especially nowadays. We are in late stage capitalism, meaning that the old standbys of economic success are no longer reliable, if they're even accessible. As buckling supply chains, global ecosystem collapse, and the corresponding rise in fascistic nationalism snowball us into a bleak future. Damn, you're a good writer. Anyway, (laughs) the predictable crashes built into our capitalist system will likely increase in frequency and severity. I worry that most of my investments for things like retirement could get repeatedly tanked in a short time span and never fully recover by the time I need them, just like my college fund did, but worse. I'm currently 27 and make 50K a year, FYI. In addition to my existential dread, the forever skyrocketing cost of living and the fact that I can't afford to invest the $500 a month I would generally need to retire makes me wonder what I'm even doing. I get pats on the head from older adults for doing the fiscally responsible right thing, but I know it's likely not enough to ever be able to completely stop working. When I bring up any of the above concerns or issues, like the increasingly speculative financialization of the American economy, they either call me cynical or just say the market will always work itself out. I sometimes wonder what the point of it all is. I keep putting my stupid little money into my stupid little accounts like I was told, but it all feels like a scheme that I didn't get in on soon enough, and now I'm just getting taken for a ride by a system on its last legs. I plan to keep investing because I feel like I have no other real option, but how do you emotionally, philosophically square making all the right financial moves knowing that it's all a grift with a somewhat significant chance it won't pay off in the long run? Love the podcast and your amazing guests. Might be too much of a downer to read on air, but it'd be nice to know I'm not bummed out alone. LOL. Thanks for reading this, Shauna. Not too much of a bummer. Very much the vibe of this show. I agree. In all of these classes I take about investing, they they stress don't get emotional. Don't make it an emotional thing. Don't make trades emotionally. Don't take losses emotionally. But like, that's easier said than done. <laughs> You know, I thought I had some shares of a company that started to do really well, and I had forgotten that I had sold those shares. And so I woke up being like, yeah, this company's thriving. Went to check. Turns out I had actually sold my shares of that company. Did I cry? Obviously. It's hard. It's hard to completely divorce yourself from it. So I really, really get it. Okay, this email is from Nadia. It says, Hi, Gabby, longtime fan of the show and book. My name is Nadia Jepson, and I have worked in the scholarships field for almost seven years. Paying for college is such a huge financial burden for Americans, and the financial aid process is arduous, confusing, and a little soul-sucking. I love how your podcast brings more awareness to all things financial, like how the health FSA rolls over. I'm going to check that out. 
So I thought I'd write in about a lesser known but widely practiced phenomenon where scholarship recipients can have their grants taken away by colleges when they win other outside scholarships. This practice is called scholarship displacement and it happens at most if not all colleges in the US. Most people don't realize that the scholarship money that they spend countless hours applying for is not guaranteed even after they have won it. This can be especially tough for low-income and middle-income families and students that may have chosen one college over another for financial reasons only to experience displacement. Many students do not get an official notice from their college when their award package has been reduced, so they usually find out a few weeks into the semester when the numbers on their student account are not matching their original financial aid award letter. Another random and unfortunate scholarship fact is that some scholarships are actually considered taxable by the IRS. Did you know that tuition and fees, books and supplies, and required materials are the only non-taxable scholarship items? Things like housing and travel are taxable, and this is the only form... And this is the only form of charity that is currently taxable. Here are some quick tips for scholarship recipients to avoid scholarship displacement. One, ask college financial aid or outside scholarship offices what their scholarship displacement policy is. Two, ask if all of their grants are renewable and what is required to keep them. Three, if you have a merit scholarship that requires a certain GPA, ask what the probationary period looks like. For example, will they immediately lose their scholarship or is there a probationary term or year to bring grades back up before taking the money away? Four, if they are lucky enough to have too much money in scholarships, they can ask their scholarship providers if they can defer their scholarship by a year or even until graduate school. Five, some providers may even be willing to let recipients use their scholarship to pay off their student loan if it would be displaced by the college. Six, if listeners feel passionate about banning this practice, some states like Maryland and New Jersey have passed laws against it. They can write their local representative or contact the National Scholarship Providers Association to see how they can get involved. Seven, the most important tip is to ask questions early on. Thanks for the great listening, Nadia. Wow, that was comprehensive. That was just so useful. Do you want to host this show? Okay, this email is from Dawn. It says, hi, Gabby, love your podcast. Thanks for covering super relevant topics about all things money and ethical living, loving, and being. I am currently exploring options for getting disability insurance coverage in addition to what I pay for through my employer, which according to my financial planner would not be significant if I actually needed to get adequate supplemental monthly income should I not be able to work due to unexpected disability slash medical issues as a single income earner with no family or partner to rely on for support. I am curious if there are financial experts who can speak further on disability insurance, their reviews and or comparisons with providers such as Aflac, Riversource and other companies, or just an overview and guidelines on how to choose the best kind of coverage and from whom. Apologies in advance if you already covered this topic. If you have, could you please kindly refer me to that episode link? We did do an episode about this way, way, way back with Carrie Wade, but we actually could stand to do another one. So thank you for the idea. Okay, this email is from Melissa. It says, hey, Gabby, I would love to hear an episode about younger people helping their parents. I remember in your early episodes, your parents would joke about you being their retirement plan. I'm trying to be my mom's retirement plan, but I don't know how to actually do it. I'm in the process of helping my mom move into a smaller condo in a less meth labby neighborhood than where she is now. Getting her into more stable and safe housing and generally making her life easier has been a dream of mine since I realized we were poor. Unfortunately, I've been flying blind during this process. While there are tons of articles about how millennials mooch off their parents, there are very few resources about younger generations helping their parents. With very little insight into how to do this, I've decided to provide some of her down payment, co-sign the mortgage, and pay part of her mortgage until her current place sells. I also give her the maximum non-taxable gift amount each year to supplement her low income. 
Growing up pretty poor with a single mom who worked up to four jobs to keep us afloat had a huge impact on me. She's never made over $32,000 a year, and we live in an expensive coastal California city. Even though she made some questionable calls, getting her condo with a subprime mortgage, her ability to manage a household with such low income continues to impress me. I imagine there are other folks my age in this position. How are they doing it? What is making them decide to help their parents financially or in other ways? Is there a right or wrong way? I realize I am super privileged to be asking these questions. Many people may want to help their parents, but can't. It's mostly through luck that I found myself in this position. Best, Melissa. What stood out to me about that was also your mom is amazing, but also that there are so many articles about millennials mooching off their parents and not enough stories about millennials helping their parents. And I think it is largely because the articles that come out about any generation are usually about the middle to upper class white people in that generation. And I know I know in lower income families and I know in families of color, helping your parents is actually way more expected. So if you have experience with that, please write in. Okay, this email is from Ada. It says, Hi, Gabby. I've loved listening to Bad With Money over the past few years, and it has been really helpful in getting me to think about my personal finances, as well as a lot of the issues within the systems that currently exist. I'm not sure how you feel about mentioning particular banks on the show, but your conversation with Paula Pant this week around saving strategies did make me think about my accounts with Ally Bank. They have added a bunch of features in the last year or so that have been really awesome in helping me organize my savings goals that align with a lot of what Paula was recommending. You can have multiple savings accounts with no fee or minimums, but with each savings account, you can also have individual buckets with labels you create and you can set goal amounts for each bucket. I have three different savings accounts for short-term, long-term, and fun. And then within each of these accounts, I have buckets for specific things like car maintenance, travel, or medical expenses. There are little icons for the different types of things you might be saving for, and it's just very cute overall. It's an entirely online bank, and the savings accounts are high yield, so you can organize your money into different categories and still get the benefit of a higher interest rate. Also, I've been trying to listen on Wednesdays, so you're welcome. Thanks, Ada. Thank you to everyone listening on Wednesdays. We did it. Truth be told, to pay my mortgage, I pay out of an Ally Bank account. So I don't want to show for a bank without them giving me money, but I also have an Ally Bank account. So make of that what you will. Okay, let's read a couple reviews and then I will let you guys go into your beautiful Thanksgiving weekend where you are hopefully not participating in Black Friday. (laughs) So this is a five-star Apple review from Concerned Meme Trash, which if you leave a five-star Apple review, that would be super nice of you. It helps us get on the charts. It really matters. This one says, professional and fun. This is an awesome show. It's a finance podcast that isn't stuffy at all. It's silly and fun, but also really engaging. Thank you so much. This one is from Santa Bunny, and it says, must listen. The podcast has amazing guests that introduce me to new topics and perspectives. I often find myself challenged to re-examine concepts I thought I knew. I've been a listener from the start and have even read the book. It has evolved in a really amazing way. Check out the first few seasons for more practical advice you can apply to your own bank account and later seasons to learn about all the layers of the financial systems at play. Thank you. So that is all the excitement we have for today. If you are interested in the Facebook group or in the Discord channel, you will find the links to those in the description below. I would also love to hear more of your thoughts and opinions and stories on these topics or any topic you think I should be covering. If you work on Black Friday, I would love to hear your stories just so people can understand why it sucks so bad. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. 
You can also email me a voice memo. A few of you have done that. Be on the lookout for next week's episode all about employers paying for employee tuitions. Oh, and don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so that we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also, next week's episode is going to be so fun because we talked to my sister-in-law, Amber Bragg, all about how the Navy paid for her medical school and the pros and cons of that. And we really get into the nitty gritty. So I hope you enjoy. And thanks so much for supporting and writing in. Bye. Bye.